Good morning and Happy New Year. I had no idea how many of you would be here this morning, given the events of last evening. It is wonderful to have you here. A number of you have mentioned that you hope 2012 will be better than 2011, at least economically, for our nation and for the world. And I certainly join you in that hope. My own reflections this Christmas season have been on the prologue, the beginning of the Gospel of John, where it is said that Jesus tented among us, dwelled among us. And as I have reflected, as Pat and I have reflected about the year past, we feel very blessed to have dwelt, to tent, that we have tented among you. Preachers often use this Sunday, like the rest of the culture, to talk about New Year's resolutions or lessons learned in the last year or about new beginnings. Here at St. Stephen's, this day is sort of a patronal feast for us. The 26th of December is St. Stephen's Day, and so it is often transferred to the following Sunday. We sang the hymn we did as the sequence, the colors are red because of St. Stephen's. And I can see a significant number of you are wearing red in honor of this day. The part that Georgia read from the Acts about Stephen's ministry and about his martyrdom says some interesting things, but there is a historical background. In the early church, they saw themselves still as Jews, more precisely, as the true Israel. So they worshipped in the synagogues and in the temples, in the temple. And that is where the Jews would have heard Stephen preach. He certainly preached with power. He was a truth teller and did not mince his words. Stephen was among the first deacons. When the church started, they would follow that temple or synagogue worship by walking to the home of one of the more wealthy members of the church, where they would celebrate a love feast, an agape meal, which developed into our Eucharist. If you look at the shape of our liturgy, it still follows that form. First, the prayers and biblical readings are response to those. In the middle, the announcements, the offertory, as we walk, get ready for the table liturgy. 
after those meals, the stuff, the food that was left over, was supposed to be distributed to the poor, the orphans, and the widows. And some Greek widows complained that they were not getting their fair share. It came to the apostles who said, we're too busy preaching and administrating. So they invited seven people to become deacons, to serve at table, to then, after the meal, bring the remainder to the marginalized, the poor. If you look at the symbol of St. Stephen on our letterhead, you'll see that he has a chasuble, or more particularly a dogmatic robe, and that his stole crosses instead of hangs down straight like a priest does. Uh, this was for wiping your hands when you serve the table and the custom stuff, and they can still wear their stoles in this fashion. They are servants, those who set the table, much as Justino does, and then bring the surplus to those in need. I try to find out why this parish was named St. Stephen. I was unable to do so. What we do know is that at a point in the 19th century, churches decided no longer to be called the Society of Episcopalians and started naming their parishes after one of the heroes of the faith. St. Stephen's is the one chosen by this congregation. How faithful are we to our name? It's hard to drive by this church without it catching your attention. It witnesses powerfully with its tall steeple to heaven, to God. And I have experienced among you a real care for the marginalized, the poor, and that is certainly true to your name. Today is also the Feast of the Holy Name. Whenever Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, the following Sunday is the Feast of the Holy Name. Because by that strange way that liturgical folk count, this is the eighth day after Christmas Day. And Jewish law prescribed that a male child should be brought to the temple, to the synagogue, on the eighth day, there to be circumcised and to be given a name. Joseph and Mary were faithful to God's call and so that took place. In the Gospel of Matthew, Joseph is instructed to name the baby Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, Mary is so instructed. And so that's what they did. His name is Jesus. 
The interesting thing about Jesus is that it was one of the most common names of the day. And I'll get back to that later. What's in a name? When my first wife and I were deciding what to name our firstborn, Megan, she mentioned the name of a distant cousin. I had never heard the name Megan before. I thought it was beautiful and it would be unique. By the time Megan got into first grade, with 26 other children, there were five Megans in the class. What is in a name? Do you know any young children that have been named Sally or Jane recently? Not at all. But it was one, those were among the most common names in my youth. What is in a name? When I was in seminary, it was required that we take one year of New Testament Greek. The pattern of the class was that we would gather, each of us would be assigned several verses to read first in Greek and then to translate those into English. On a particular day, I started reading my verses and one of the words was ezos, which is the Greek form of Jesus. And I mispronounced it entirely. In one of my life's most embarrassing moments, the professor said, that's ezos, Mr. Rice. Ezos Christos. You remember him, don't you? Actually, in Hebrew, what we know as Jesus is the name Joshua. But neither of those names started with a J until the 17th or 18th century. If you look at the earliest versions of the King James translation of the Bible, Jesus is listed as Esau's. What is in a name? Actually, Jesus' name, in deference to my New Testament Greek professor, was not Jesus Christ. Christ being a title, King, Messiah, Lord. He would have been known as Esos bar Yosef, Jesus the son of Joseph, or since it was such a popular name, Jesus from Nazareth. What's in a name? I think names can form us. There was a woman in one of my parishes whose name was Delight. 
She was about the sweetest person I had ever met. One almost became uncomfortable in her presence because of her delightfulness, her sweetness, until she developed Alzheimer's. And I would visit her in the nursing home where she had developed the ability to swear like a drunken sailor. (laughs) The name had formed her. And then when she couldn't remember, another came forth. In my experience, the names that most form many of us are professional names. You are a priest. Can you live into that? Or a teacher, or a doctor, a mother, a grandparent. We start leaning towards these names, and then they begin to form us. Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, we start with leanings and then begin to be formed. In my own case, I have no idea where the Edward came from or why my mother started calling me Ted instead of Ed. The last name Rice was spelled in Germany R-E-I-S-S, pronounced rice. In this country, it would have been pronounced Reese. So my parents changed the spelling to retain the pronunciation. I think it was more than that. They wanted to identify themselves as Americans and put the old world culture and ways behind them. They wanted to become Americans. My guess is that if many of you explore your own last names, you may find a similar story. But the name that has most affected me, as some of you know, is my middle name, George. George was my father's Dutch cousin. After the occupation, when the boys were 18 and 19, the Nazis came down their street and rounded up all the teenage Jewish boys. Peter was sent home several days later because he had a cold and wasn't useful to the experimenters. George's ashes were sent home several days later. He had died in medical experiments. My father was a man who could cry, but when we visited George's gravesite in the early 60s, he fell completely apart, and my brother and I had to carry him out of the cemetery. 
In one way or another, that name and that story formed me. I dedicated my life to making sure there would be no more holocausts. Now you might say, and I would agree, that I have failed miserably at that, but it's not for lack of trying. It has formed what I've tried to be about much of my life, fighting for places where all are treated equal and where all might be safe. 